everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the BTS podcast. I'm your host, Ciara Minova, and in today's episode, we are back with the wonderful Dr. Alex Kermi, psychiatrist and host of the Maudsley Learning Podcast, with a discussion on self-esteem, compassion, and the self. We'll be discussing where self-criticism comes from, relationship with self, and also how to parent yourself by using a reparenting model of therapy. Very excited for this episode. Dr. Alex, welcome back. So lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me. Is this number five now? I think it's way past number five. Yeah, definitely one of the most recurring and well-received episodes. So happy that, you know, we're keeping this going. Excellent. It's great to be back. Well, I feel like there's so much to talk about here. Maybe we can start with what we actually mean by the self. And um, knowing that you like a bit of philosophy, I guess this is looking at it through more of a philosophical lens to have this feeling or sense of the self, that which makes me separate from you. So what do we mean by self? And are there different understandings like our self-concept, our self-esteem, etc.? Okay, so this is obviously a huge question. There are, there are many different ways to, to look at this idea of the self. It's used in many different contexts. I think for the purpose yeah. of this discussion, one way to think about yourself is you have a the, there's a plurality plurality of selves so you are essentially a collection of motivations desires personality traits and you have a, a lot of different goals and a lot of different drives and a lot of different schools have of psychotherapy have pointed out that as a result of of the fact that you are this community of of different motivations and, and desires that those motivations and, and desires can often conflict with each other and those mm. conflicts can often be the root of a lot of psychological suffering they can cause impasses in our lives difficulties at work difficulties in relationship so for for the purposes of this conversation i want people to think of themselves as a community almost let's say like a company or a country of which mm. you're the CEO. Interesting. And your task, if you choose to accept it, is to try and create some harmony between all these different drives and motivations, between these different parts of yourself, in order to accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And this can be very hard if we're not aware of all our different drives and motivations, which I would venture to say most people aren't because of a lot of our motivations and drives are kind of uncomfortable. A lot of them conflict, for mm. example, with the rules of society, or they just seem on some level unacceptable to us. And really, it was the psychoanalysts that were the pioneers in this, in terms of helping people to discover the parts of themselves which they're not conscious of for some reason or another right, to bring them yeah. more into consciousness which then puts someone in a position of choice where they can once once you can mm -hmm. look at look at these conflicts in the face then you can decide what you might want to prioritize um and that it can help you form long-term goals and, and figure out what kind of behaviors do you want to bring in sustainably that can last not just like that cannot be effective just for today but for weeks, months, right. and years. Because really the, the value, some choices over other choices reveal themselves over time. 
like for example the pros and cons of doing cocaine will change depending on whether or not the world is going to end tomorrow or in one week or in one mm-hmm. month or in 10 years time um a lot of our choices mm-hmm. reveal themselves to be dysfunctional only because of the length of our of our lives and also because of the fact that in modern society more and more actually it's delaying gratification which confers an advantage whereas in other contexts in human history actually being very present focused and kind of going for what you want in the moment might have had a lot more value but that's certainly not the case now yeah so that's that's i gave you a kind of a long winded answer but one <laughs> way to think about yourself is you are this community um mm. of different conflicting drives and motivations and you're not just yourself in one snapshot of time but you're a self that's projected across time and so when when you're thinking about what it is you want from life you have to consider both the present but also the medium and long term future as well well then that leads me to then how we would define our self esteem so if we're let's say this community and we've got all these different you know motivations and different factors is it something that fluctuates like some days it's better than others or is it more like we either have a solid foundation of ourselves within that spectrum or within that concept or we don't for this question i'd like to make a distinction and the distinction is between let's say core sense core self esteem or core inherent sense of self worth and then what we could call mm. situational confidence so situational confidence is all those different largely external situations in our life where we feel some level somewhere on a spectrum of confidence r- ranging from not confident at all to quite confident or extremely confident depending on the results we've obtained in the past which give us like a strong indicator of what our results in the present and future are like to like it to be so that's more confidence and confidence tends to be based on tangible external results and confidence mm. i think responds more to a paternal style of parenting if you like which is more about challenge taking risks getting better acquiring confidence that gives you confidence but i think aside from confidence in certain situations which i do think is essential we all need to feel confident at least in some situations i think there's something else which is more inherent self-worth that is mm. i think a more basic sense that we have value and that we deserve care and that we deserve attention and i think that is irrespective of being particularly competent in any one situation or another i do think human beings have a basic need to feel good enough that they have value and i think because people don't make the distinction between those two concepts that's how you for example end up with people who are very overachieving and perfectionistic they're chasing mm. that lack of self-worth and they might have a lack of self inherent self-worth for any number of reasons but they're trying to compensate for that lack through the route of confidence and external achievement and 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 achieving goals out exactly. there trying to fill a, a hole inside and i think you need both and i think the way you get uh, that inherent sense of self-worth 
is through more of a maternal side of, of parenting rather than paternal. And it's more that unconditional love that that mm. you get um, typically from, from your mom. But I'd like to also make it clear that I think you can have a maternal and paternal style of parenting from both a mother and a father. I think both are responsible for both. Yeah. But you would typically get a little bit more maternal style from mom and a bit more paternal style from dad, typically. And that's that's roughly how I, I think about the concept of self-esteem. So I break it down into those mm. two. And that's helpful because, again, that provides you a route to figuring out exactly what the individual's issue might be. Because some people, they lack that inherent self-worth as I mentioned, but some people it's the opposite. They have this, this sort of more inherent self-worth, mm. but they, what they lack is situational confidence and very different ways of tackling both those problems, I think. As an adult, I think you get, if you have that lack of inherent self-worth, I think the way you can start to fill that void is by developing more of a compassionate relationship with yourself rather than by challenge yourself, yeah. challenging yourself just to achieve more, do more, achieve more goals, etc. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think you're absolutely right, because we might think that self-esteem is, you know, rooted in these external factors, like, as you said, our education, our status, how many friends we have, how much money we earn, what kind of role you do, etc., all these things. But someone might succeed in that, or you might say that when I succeed in X or Y, I finally feel like I'm worth it. I finally feel confident and all this stuff. And yet when you get that, somehow nothing really changes. And I think this is exactly where you're speaking about that inherent self-worth. If that inherent self-worth is not there, no matter how many times you might, you know, receive that external validation, um, whether that is, you know, an education, a status, friends, or, you know, whatever, it somehow still isn't enough. And so maybe it isn't that situational confidence anymore, but it is exactly mm. that deeply rooted um, self-value mm -hmm. that you were speaking about. So yeah, and I also think even within the world of the situational confidence, you want to be careful about setting your goals. Um, because you do tend to adapt to mm -hmm. whatever goals you achieve. So, for example, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm about to, I'll, I'll be a consultant soon. If I set my goal as once I, once I become a consultant psychiatrist, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'm kind of dooming myself actually mm -hmm. to dissatisfaction because I'm going to get there and it's going to run out. But if I set my goal to be the best psychiatrist possible, that's kind of a bottomless goal that never really expends itself. And that's a goal you can keep on achieving uh, and it can incentivize you to keep on accruing that situational confidence. So I think how you set your goal, even within that realm, is quite important. That's interesting. But isn't being the best, isn't that a bit of an unhealthy goal, you would say? Or, or would you say in a sense of like, the goal is more open to interpretation and yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I would frame it as uh, doing the best I can, and then you know mm. what is the best I can. Then there's there's caveats to that, obviously. But yeah, that that's a good point. Let's talk a little bit about characteristics. What are some of the characteristics of low self esteem um, for someone who would want to identify it, and perhaps maybe even a little bit on how that may be linked to our mental well being? It's a good question. 
I think it will vary tremendously from individual to individual because it's going to interact with other personality traits mm-hmm. that you're going to have. For example, there may be people who, there there are people who have low self-esteem who are also extremely industrious. So that'd be high if we're using a if we're using a big five mm-hmm. personality trait model, which is my preferred model of personality, if they had that were high in a trait called conscientiousness and they had low self-esteem, then probably that'd be your classic perfectionistic type person always trying to um, achieve more and more that's their kind of way of interacting with the world is through hard work and because they have low self-esteem they're using hard work to try and fill that void but depending on what personality traits you have you can have all sorts of different configurations and I imagine someone for example that's high in emotional sensitivity, one of the other big five personality trait models, they may, because they have low self-esteem also, they may be prone to immense emotional volatility. They may be prone to fears Mm. of abandonment. Uh, They may be prone to self-harm and things like that. If they're very high in extroversion, if they're very um, outgoing, then they may be more histrionic in their character so they may be always trying to be put themselves at the center of attention you know to try and fill that that void through that means uh, they might be quite dramatic they might mm. um yeah be be unduly dramatic in situations you wouldn't expect them to so there'll be all, all sorts of different manifestations i think it will be whatever your personality is the i think the low self-esteem would cause you to amplify those personality traits in order to try and fill that gap in your in your self-worth. Mm. We constantly have like a little voice in our heads and mm. we might not automatically realize it, but we have this internal dialogue. It can be our thought, but it's essentially the way that we talk to ourselves. So how does your inner voice speak to you? And I think that's very important because Sometimes that voice isn't very nice. And you mentioned something about um, self-criticism. I think maybe that inner voice is, is something to be mindful of because that's where that inner critic comes from, right? And some say it could even be the voice we hear or remember from our, from our childhood and maybe a way that our parents would speak to us, for example. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think... Like you said, everyone has seems to have an inner voice. And if there's any further proof you need that you are in a relationship with yourself, it's that you talk to yourself. That you know, you might say you might be looking for something and you might ask yourself, Oh, where's the water bottle? And you're like, Oh, there's the water bottle. Like, who are you who are you telling? So there's the the smoking gun that you actually are kind of in a relationship with yourself. Most people aren't that conscious of the inner voice because they're so closely identified with it. We did a podcast, our first podcast we did was about meditation. And one of the cool things about meditation is it can really, really cause you to become conscious of your inner voice. And once you realize you have an inner voice, then the next step is to be like, well, what kind of inner voice do I have? Am I nice to myself? Do I encourage mm-hmm. myself if things are going well for me can i comfort myself or do i chastise myself so once you know you have an inner voice then you can start to look at what's the character of my inner voice what are the general themes mm-hmm. maybe sometimes you're nice to yourself and maybe sometimes you're not 
maybe sometimes you go too easy on yourself. It's complicated. And I think, yeah. as you alluded to, oftentimes our inner voice seems to have the character, often has themes which re- remind us of our relationships, say, with our parents or caregivers or people that played very prominent roles in our early lives. So people might realize that the way they talk to themselves is a lot like the way their father or their mother or their teacher spoke to them in the past. And they realize it's kind of a one client I had referred to to it as software that he was given. And that is useful because Mm. you realize you didn't choose it. It was given to you. But now that you're aware of it, you can start to make choices about a how you actively talk to yourself because you can decide to actively talk to yourself and you can choose the character of that dialogue and b you can stop rewarding if there is a if there is a problematic inner voice that you have you can stop feeding into it you can be aware of it you can acknowledge it and you can let it go meditation is really good at helping you do these things but you don't have to feed into it by for example, doing the kind of dysfunctional behavior that critical inner voices often cause us to do. Like, imagine a socially anxious person is thinking about braving going outside and going to a party for the first time in years, and he has a harsh inner voice saying, No one's even going to like you. Why would you even bother going? By following the instructions of that voice, you only reinforce it and you only get it to get stronger, yeah. ironically. But by cultivating a more positive inner voice and we can talk about what that might look like and by ignoring the harsh inner critic you can start to essentially what you're doing is you're creating new uh, neuronal patterns on a biological level that's how you could think of it and you're extinguishing patterns that are not serving you Wow, that's super interesting. I know you're very um, big on meditation, which I really love. And like you said, it was it was actually one of our first episodes together. And it's kind of going back to what we talked about in the beginning about the concept of self, because I think maybe sometimes our low self-esteem or that inner critical voice can be understood as maybe an over-identification with the self, right? When we get mm. too wrapped up in the sense of self, whether that occurs in a you know positive light or a negative light, but we place too much importance on it. Um, just like you mentioned on this social setting, someone placed too much yeah. importance on and being obsessive about every little word, thought, or feeling that enters or that happens in that particular event. So yeah, I, I do agree with you. And I guess meditation in a way is one way of like practicing of letting go of that, of those thoughts and not being so attached to our thoughts, which may be helpful in that criticism and that over attachment yeah so in a in a meditation buddhist context and Mm. i'm not an expert at this but this is my rough understanding the one of the goals of meditation is to make distinctions between a lot of activity in your psychological life and your core self so if you imagine a series of concentric circles um, in the outer circles you'd have things like your thoughts your emotions, your behaviors, your appearance, your possessions. Imagine all of those things floating around in orbit. And in the middle, you'd have one circle, which is what um, a Buddhist might think of as their core self. And most people just identify it as all of all of as a part of ourselves. You know, our possessions, mm. our looks, our thoughts, our emotions, 
whereas they would think med- what meditation helps you to do is peel back those layers to stop identifying with your car, your house, how much money is in your bank mm-hmm. account, but also your self-critical thoughts, even your positive thoughts and your emotions. And you keep peeling back and peeling back and peeling back to what they might refer to as a core self. And then some schools of Buddhism, again, I'm not an expert, but some schools of Buddhism think the self is kind of an illusion that it's kind of, uh, and to some degree it is because it's a fictional story that we tell ourselves, but some kinds of meditation are really geared at realizing that there is no self that we can actually perceive within our field of consciousness. Uh, and and mm. this is a kind of medica- meditation that's aimed at achieving what's called non-duality. So realizing that at, you, at, at your mm. core first person experience, there is no subject, there is no I, there's no Alex gazing upon the world. But actually, if you look at, my, at one's consciousness closely enough, you realize there is just consciousness and its contents. Yeah. But this is this is different, you know, a different Very way I use self to hide in, in the beginning. So self can mean a lot of different things depending on the context. You mentioned something about a reparenting model. What exactly is the reparenting model? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And how would learning how to reparent yourself look like? Yeah, so the general idea is that a what what a core lack of self-worth as opposed to a situational confidence issue tends to respond to is compassion it's that sense that you are valuable unconditionally not to achieve anything in particular but you have that that sense of worth and value that's constant if you feel like you that this is an issue that you struggle with compassion is what you're looking for and then it just becomes about where you can seek and obtain that compassion reliably so what you might do, for example, is start to seek relationships with safe people. You might identify people that you already know, for instance, that are capable of giving you that compassionate outlook. Um, but one of the things you could also do is find a therapist and start engaging in some kind of therapy. And the value of therapy in this context for many people who are, have maybe been deprived of compassion in their early lives or maybe in their current lives or both is the relationship with the therapist itself can be healing in that Mm. obviously if you find a good therapist what they should be able to give you is a sense that they care about you in a consistent way and that's unconditional not that they won't challenge you or try and push you out of the push you out of your comfort zone but there is a consistent um, sense of care and, and attention. And that is what we think of as a kind of reparenting function in, in therapy, mm. that they can both provide you that consistent care, but also push you and take you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Because that, that mixture of comfort and challenge is really the secret ingredients of good parenting obviously there'll be some phases in a person's life when they need more compassion than challenge and vice versa but it's really some mixture of the two and and once you're aware of that you can also start to think about how you might parent yourself so if you are a community of different drives and motivations and and sub-personalities you're kind of your own 
parents as well. And just like you might seek that mm. mixture of compassion and challenge from other people, safe people, family and friends, a therapist, you can also learn to give it to yourself. Because if you're in a relationship with yourself, once you realize that, you get to decide what kind of relationship you you have with yourself. If it's the really the lack of self-worth that you think is dominant, then probably it will be a lot about self-compassion. There are very useful forms yeah. of meditation, you know, and self-compassion exercises and meditation that can help to, in a very literal sense, start to pos- position yourself as being much more compassionate towards yourself. And that many people find that very helpful. I definitely agree with you. Self-compassion as well as self-acceptance, having that core value. But, you know, it's much easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the biggest issue. We understand that compassion towards ourself and kindness towards ourself and acceptance, but it's so hard to do that in everyday life. It's very hard to implement that compassion to your, towards ourselves. Do you have any recommendations on how someone who has that core low self-esteem can actually work to make that self-compassion something that's ongoing? Is it about just practicing over and over? What are some of the things that you've seen to be helpful? Yeah, if you think this is a problem you may struggle with, you have to, it's a, it's a significant problem. You know, some people find it more debilitating than others. Some people might have it to a greater intensity than others, but it's a significant problem and you should mm-hmm. treat it significantly. I think it's weird that we often don't treat our psychological or physical health for that matter with the same level of seriousness that we might treat, for example, a work project or a problem with relationship or a financial problem these things which are more tangible maybe we kind of intuit what level of seriousness and effort will be required to deal with them whereas things which are a bit more abstract and internal and psychological we can find it more difficult so my advice is to treat it like a small work project you know it's going to take incremental efforts consistently over time probably some kind of small daily effort if you're talking about starting a new way of thinking a new psychological pattern thinking and feeling and trying to extinguish an old one that's more dysfunctional you can expect it to take a small portion of your day be it only 10 or 20 minutes every day for i would say probably months you know to really get it going um so i think consistent consistency and and keeping in mind that it's an incremental process that's going to take some time is is very important and then how, the actual methods then i think there's a lot of variability and it could be self compassion exercises and meditations which you can find on youtube or most meditation apps being starting to look at your relationships more closely and who it is mm. trying to identify who it is you can get compassion from and and who you can't getting a good therapist can be helpful or even a good mentor or colleagues at work that you think can be helpful in this regard starting to write down your thoughts can be super helpful even if it's just for five to ten minutes a day to identify okay what what do my thoughts what what does my inner dialogue actually look like and then actively changing that starting to think 
thoughts, which are actually more useful. And what you'll find is over time, everything will start to become more automatic. And hopefully, especially if you already have the more situational confidence kind of stuff down, you'll hopefully start to realize Mm. that you're actually much more effective in the world. I think a lot of people find Mm. the idea of self-compassion very corny and uh, (laughs) airy-fairy and not substantial. And in many iterations it is. And you can see a lot of that on Instagram and motivational memes and stuff like that. But I I think if you can pair a keen (laughs) situational confidence and effort and challenge yourself with self-compassion, you become absolutely deadly because when you have setbacks, Mm. you can rebound from them much faster. Um, You're not giving yourself so much of a hard time, so you can spend less time mentally castigating yourself and more time actually planning and executing things that you want to do. I I think a combination that really works well, and this is really from Buddhism as well, is being quite challenging about how much effort you might put into something. So saying, you know, I'm really going to do my best today at one particular project or activity but then being very very compassionate about your results because while you do have a quite a lot Mm. of control about how much effort you put into something say you're starting a podcast i'm going to really put in my effort into making the podcast the best i can make it you know reasonably whatever that looks like and but then being very compassionate about the results you don't end up in this self-critical trap that many people Mm. fall into which causes them to stop doing things prematurely before they can actually get results so you start your podcast and all you get is 50 downloads in a month or something some small amount if you then are overly self-critical and you think oh this is all pointless you're just going to stop whereas if you reward yourself for actually putting in a lot of effort and you're compassionate about your results that can motivate you to keep on going and and generally success especially in modern society success depends on persistence i'm making friends with failure i mean like it's totally fine if i fail whatever that means initially but realizing that failure doesn't have to obscure your value as a person it just means you need to change your approach and then life becomes this very exciting game of almost embracing failure, almost chasing failure, because you know that every failure is just teaching you how to get better and better at something. And the results are just, the results are great, but the results are just like the icing on the cake. But the cake Mm. is falling in love with process and falling in love with getting better and and allowing the failures to kind of, to, to become more aerodynamic about the failure. So they don't hold you back, but you just get what's useful from them. And realizing that your that your failure is kind of is not representative of your value. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to think about there. I really like that. I really like how you said put an intention in mind, but then approach it with compassion at the with the end result. That's yeah. very beautiful. Yeah, I think it's it's a the the Buddhist phrase that alludes to this idea is you have the right to the action, but not the fruit of the action. Hmm. Which means wow. like you have no right to a particular it's, result, even if you put in a lot of effort, but you can still be proud of the effort you, you put in. Just know the universe doesn't owe you anything. And that's okay. And that's right. I think one thing that really helped me is understand that our perceptions are distorted, that we may have a self-concept that is factual 
to us. It, mm. In reality, it might be distorted, but it it is an accurate statement of what you believe about yourself, but it doesn't actually mean yeah, that it exactly. is an accurate statement of what you, you believe. believe about yourself, yeah. right? That's your, yourself. <laughs> the narrative you have of yourself is fictional. Why is it fictional? Because you've picked some things over other things. You've overemphasized some facts. You've obscured other facts. And some people's fictional narrative is really unkind to them. And some is almost too kind, and we call those people narcissists, where they mm. have this overinflated <laughs> view of themselves. Yeah. A person can have everything that seems relatively fine, and yet, no matter what, they have deeply rooted hate towards themselves. And I think hate is really parallel to self-esteem. No matter what you do, you're constantly criticizing yourself. And you, you know, you could be well-rounded in many aspects of your life. And yet it is really deeply rooted in you. And I think, is it worth in these situations investigating much deeper where that deep self-hatred is coming from? It could be said that it's from childhood, but is it always from childhood or is it very little nuances that actually shape this person? Yeah, I think it will be extremely individual. And as with everything, there's going to be a mixture of things at play. I think sometimes people are going to be more even genetically or biologically wired to fall into this trap, say if they're mm. very, very emotionally sensitive, um, as I mentioned earlier. But I think life experiences will play a huge role. And sometimes they'll be early in life and sometimes they'll be later. I think the later it is, the less vulnerable you are likely to be. But that doesn't mean that an experience that happens in later in life can't damage you psychologically. And that damage could look like self, self-criticism, self-loathing, self-hatred. So in short, I, I think it's, it's definitely, if I were that person, what I would try and do is figure out what the root of that self-hatred is uh, and see if there is something discernible that, that one can find. And that could be something that's happened to them at, at any stage of life, really, and try to figure out where it comes from and what might be the resulting kind of perpetuating patterns. Like, how does this self-hatred manifest now? What does it make the person do? Or what does it prevent the person from doing that might change their relationship with themselves? Because it tends to become, like I said, a trap. It tends to cause people to stagnate. And then that stagnation causes more self-hatred. So again, uh, I like Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah. Like we we talked about this with uh, Anakin Skywalker, but I'll use a different example. So imagine, imagine you grow up in a relatively normal childhood but at the age of 12 you get terribly terribly bullied in high school and that leaves you with Mm. resulting self-criticism self-loading self-hatred and you can see how that could happen if the bullying was severe enough and then because you develop some social anxiety you stop socializing and because you stop socializing you become less adept when you do socialize which causes more social rejections or more perceived social rejections. And that causes more self-criticism and self-loathing. And you can see how that can facilitate a lot of a downward spiral. And I think 
the idea of downward and upward spirals is very important to understand that things are aren't static they tend to be dynamic and and different factors mm. in one's life tend to conspire either to make things better or worse for that person as anyone who's ever played monopoly knows when you become successful you tend to become more and more successful success begets success and vice versa yeah. failure begets failure so for that person who who seems to be trapped in quite severe self-loathing i'd be curious if there was some kind of discernible originating triggering event but then also what happened next and what are the patterns which continue to perpetuate it and to make it grow and grow and these things tend to the the longer it persists the more stable it is and and the harder it is to change yeah obviously it can change you know i i do think anyone can change at any time but like i said it's it's this sort of spiraling pattern and and one would have to look at all the different factors that might be contributing I think also self-reflection is a very important step of being aware of that critical voice. What are some questions that we can ask ourselves for that self-awareness when it comes to that critical inner voice and that low core value of the self? So I think probably the best thing you could do is write down your thoughts. And you know you want to get a piece of paper and a pen or a laptop, whatever you write on, and sort of just give your hands free license to write whatever is going to come to your mind maybe with the intention of reflecting what do i think about myself or how do i treat myself it would be particularly useful to do in a moment of crisis so if you feel like you're particularly upset to do uh, upset about some situation it's really useful to use that kind of free writing technique and just let your thoughts pour out onto the page or onto the computer and then you can start to look at the themes that come up and and really the questions to ask are questions like how do i talk to myself when things are tough how do i talk to myself mm. when things are good when i actually have achieved some success how do i talk to myself when i'm in conflict with another person so these these are the kinds of questions that you might ask and again it's it's really about if i were my own parent you know what kind of parent would would i be am i kind of more of an authoritarian am i more permissive am i more of a reasonable parent am i the kind of parent to myself that i want to be wow. or is there room for for doing something differently wow that's absolutely beautiful dr alex as a final question do you have any final tip you want to give someone on working on that low self-esteem so there's a saying in self-development wherever you go there you are which means mm. no matter what you achieve or how you change your circumstances move country start dating someone new win the lottery you're still kind of stuck with your psychological baggage <laughs> so there are problems which are best addressed directly and this is becoming i think we're all starting to learn this what i learned something i learned recently is that extreme wealth is starting to be recognized as a risk factor for depression and anxiety which doesn't surprise me at all mm -hmm. if anyone has watched the tv show white lotus this is the idea about white lotus <laughs> so it's about all these ultra rich people and how despite the fact that they're ultra rich 
it doesn't do not only does it not help with the neurosis it only accentuates it and amplifies it and gives them the breathing room to let it flower and all of its terrible manifestations yeah. the so monk who sold his psych- ferrari was another example yeah yeah that's a great example as well so you want to address these problems directly and you want to think you know i want to be confident in some situations i want to be competent but i also want to feel free like it's okay to give to give yourself unconditional value and self-worth i think i think it's just Mm -hmm. something that humans need in the same way that they need oxygen and food and and you should really be Mm -hmm. getting that from your relationships so you should make sure you have relationships that can give you that but also you should feel free to give it to yourself and that giving it to yourself isn't weakness but actually if employed in combination with challenge yourself it can make you extremely even more effective so that that's that that would be the take home wow that's absolutely wonderful and such a such great advice alex thank you so much for your wonderful conversation again i truly enjoyed it and i cannot wait already for our next episode thank you i enjoyed it thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening if you did like this episode please do share and subscribe on your favorite podcast hosting site also do check out dr alex's podcast the mosley learning podcast they have great topics on everything psychology and psychiatry related speaking to experts in the field as well as their own audio essays i will link it to the description box in this episode thank you again and we'll catch you guys next time